0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Thought Architecture and in today's episode we're going to go through a couple of things. The first one is obviously talking about developing the brain and skills of the brain and so we're going to go into uh, deductive and inductive reasoning and uh, the thoughts behind that as well as what's known as the Aura method of uh, task accomplishment or productivity if you want to know um and then you know from that going into creative problem solving so that's today's episode so let's get straight into it so the first thing that uh, that is worth asking about is this idea of like well how do we train the brain how do we teach the brain to be smart and going into this type of thing we can go into many realms like fluid intelligence versus crystallized intelligence you know we can talk about neuroplasticity we can talk about all of these muscles of the brain, like working memory and being able to exercise it. I'll be honest with you, like I've never found those to be quite so helpful. Like if you look at a perfect example of this is a Rubik's cube. Look at a Rubik's cube and figure out the solution without having any help. How long would it take you to work out the solution for a Rubik's cube? How long would it take you before you were able to deduce how it moved how to solve it? Hmm, how about 10 years? That is what um, the, the creator of the Rubik's Cube is rumored to have spent just figuring out um, how to solve the Rubik's Cube, okay, versus um, having ex- explained to you and then you actually developing the skill to solve it, which is different. And that's how everybody starts nowadays. They don't, people don't solve the Rubik's Cube deductively. Okay, we use a method called inductive reasoning, which is, in my opinion, far better to develop. Okay, so the idea behind inductive reasoning is that, um, you know, we are able to see an example. All right. So here's here's let me let me read it for you. Here's what it says. Inductive reasoning is a type of logical thinking that involves forming generalizations based on specific incidents you've experienced observations you've made or facts you know to be true or false okay so compare it to deductive reasoning so the the question then is what is a what is the difference between the two well deductive reasoning aims at testing an existing theory okay inductive reasoning is more about developing that theory so another way to say it is deductive reasoning is somehow um, not using your past not using your past to then solve the future. It's like you're using the muscles that you've got right now to be able to try and use logic to, um, to work hard to solve a problem. Okay, so that's great. But inductive reasoning means that you're looking hard at everything in your past, whereas deductive reason is, is having muscles prepared for the future. So the first time that you see something, you deduce it versus the first time you see something, You allow yourself to be wrong, make mistakes, look at how other people have solved this particular problem, crowdsource it, which means that you don't attach failure to the first time that you do something. But what it means is that you look at the relationships between a lot of things. You create what are called schemata, thought patterns, thought connections, mental frameworks when you expose yourself to an idea. Okay, once you've done this, inductive reasoning has a lot of transfer effect. Like if I look at the mental models, the frameworks that are connected with, let's say, understanding animals and I apply that same systems approach to something else, like, let's say, cooking, you know, there could be a crossover there, whereas deductive reasoning doesn't necessarily have that crossover. It's just this straight up brute force skills approach. Okay. so I like the idea of rather inductive reasoning kind of being like collecting frameworks and when you when you then have multiple frameworks in your head you have a a, you've built up an architecture of inductive reasoning which is yes it is rules and and um, you know observations and facts and generalizations but then you use your deductive reasoning to be able to then develop the context and say what is different about this than these other things. So you use each one of them in particular ways, whereas obviously deductive reasoning is seen to be the one that uh, Sherlock Holmes would have, for example. Um, I, find it, I find it more, um, when people talk to me about it, about you know deductive reasoning and inductive reasoning you know when we're on the topic we're not necessarily using that type of vocabulary um, people bring up the the super geniuses that you see in TV and this is where uh, unfortunately we, we talk about things that can distort our inductive reasoning is what are the models that we are exposing our brain to so a lot of deductive reasoning people don't see deductive reasoning necessarily every single day But rather, the natural form for the human brain is to create inductive reasoning. It's the reason why, if we establish a trauma response during childhood, we'll typically live out that trauma response as an adult as well, because we use inductive reasoning quite naturally. We don't use deductive reasoning quite naturally, right? And so the models that use deductive reasoning in... um, you know, literature that we're exposed to are people like Sherlock Holmes, Dr. House, you know, all these genius level types of people that we aspire to be. And they're somehow presented like superheroes. You know, that deductive reasoning is some kind of superpower. And I think that the superpower is truly using inductive reasoning for the same thing. You know, by going through a certain number of things, we see patterns. But what we need to do is obviously contextualize a lot of these patterns, and that's where we fall short: is the ability to take a generalization and contextualize it in a a very specific example, to then be able to read into the specific example. It's using using all of your the sum total of your experiences to then um, find what is the best model. So. We need to understand that we are using models that we're just exposed to, and we need to investigate these models. So just like the idea, it's, it's basically we're, we're investigating things that we didn't even think we should investigate. You know, think about it like how many times you pass that one house and you've never actually looked at that house. Stop and look at that house and even ask that question, is it a house? You know, how many children do you think are freaked out by this idea that there are fake houses in Paris and London? You know, uh, I don't know if you know that. So I'll attach, uh, I'll attach something below. The, the fake houses of, of London, it's quite, it's quite interesting. They were just meant to cover up an eyesore, which, were, which was the London Underground track um, in, in London. Very, very interesting. So there, there is a fake house in London. And can you imagine children's minds being blown that every day they walk past this fake house, but they actually don't know it's a fake house. And when they learn it's a fake house, their mind is absolutely blown. But then, once they're exposed to that idea the first time, they'll then make an assumption that, well, the world has real houses and fake houses. Okay, that's great. And um, there's a couple of tests that I can do in order to establish that it is a real house. You know, and then also the ratio of real houses to fake houses in the world—it's pretty, you know—it's pretty staggering what that ratio is. So we have this idea of inductive reasoning, and creating inductive reasoning based on solid models. So if you think about, if you understand how people operate based on movies, you will be sorely mistaken. You'll be like, "But wait, in movies people always behave like this. Why aren't you behaving like this in real life?" Well, real life and movies are two different models. And, you know, can you imagine a movie where the protagonist is actually a healthy human being? That is, they have good trauma responses, good emotional support, good emotional maturity as well, and coping strategies for stressful situations. We won't have movies because most movies we need to see the hero being arrogant, egotistical, fall, uh, find another solution where you know they they thought that they were invincible something like that you know if as soon as you have a healthy protagonist the movie becomes very boring so it's uh it's not it's not a golden rule it doesn't work with every single movie uh, but yeah with with a good number of movies if you had healthy people you'd have boring movies um so there's this idea about like where are you actually getting your models or your frameworks for understanding particular things? So I challenge you to investigate mechanics. What are the mechanisms at work? Because if you can understand the system that something operates in, you better understand and you can better generalize its behavior. You can predict it and you can, in you know, um, take that model of how that system works and apply it to specific contexts. So... If you understand how animals behave in stress and in how they respond to pleasure, how they, how they think, how they show submission and respect and care, you can apply that across the board for most animals. You know, of course, you need to get into like subspecies and things like that. But yeah, it largely translates across, which means that one good understanding translates across to most animals. And we have what's called far transfer effect. Amazing. Fantastic. So one of the, the, the things that I did want to touch on, apart from inductive reasoning being a human superpower, number one. Number two, making sure that you're building up your inductive reasoning by using solid mental models, solid frameworks. Investigate the frameworks that you're attached to. Okay, uh, Ask if there's evidence for it rather than, oh, it's a good idea. So I know that in the past I've mentioned falsifiability. The fa- the ability for something to be proven right or wrong is important. So if something is falsifiable, okay, we can we can prove that it can be wrong or it can be right. We can show evidence of its existence. The idea is that it's not the be all and end all. I'm not I'm not saying that you have to be non spiritual to kind of take this approach, but more to this idea of like don't just give your brain to a particular model freely. Like what out there is there to show you that one way of spirituality is above another if you look at the behavior of the people who actually conform to a particular belief you'll be able to very quickly determine whether or not you want the results of that belief you know if if the worshipers of one particular philosophy or religion um, are you know unhappy well why would you want to? Follow that then, you know, if, if especially if your goal is happiness. If your goal is not happiness, but maybe like working hard and sacrificing for the greater good, and for the greater community, then yes, contextually speaking, another community might work better for you. And and that's my way of adjusting my systems, thinking of knowing that actually not everybody's looking for happiness. And contextually speaking, some people are just looking for belonging, and they are happy to trade what they have for stability of belonging to a group. So, base things on models that are evidenced. Okay? So a quick example is that Carl Jung, Sigmund Freud, you know, their psychology is often touted as like, oh, this is amazing. They were it's true, they were the beginners, the uh the pioneers of the field, but all of their stuff is largely you know, it's not falsifiable. You cannot prove it right, you cannot prove it wrong. There is no way you can evidence any of their theories. And so the result is that it's a good it's a nice idea but we should lay it aside for now it's the same as all your personality tests um every personality test that's out there myers-briggs you know you're an infp or an intj whatever it is you know yep, completely false uh not falsifiable like we cannot prove that it's right we cannot prove it's wrong um zodiac signs same thing Uh, the Enneagram same thing so that doesn't mean that I don't think that they're cool or I I don't listen to them it's just the idea of well you know I take them as the spice the sauce on the dish rather than uh, use it for um, you know consuming most of my nutrients so I'll get my nutrients from my meat and potatoes thanks not from my sauces The sauces is just extra spice. It just makes things a little bit more whimsical and flavorful and interesting. It's not going to change how I feel about the world. So anyway, uh, moving on, a large portion of this has then got to do with when you're talking about being in a situation, the weakness of inductive reasoning is the idea of um, you normally need to know the model before you can solve the problem. So there also comes in models of solving problems. And being creative with problem solving is part of this as well. So if you increase your skill of how to solve problems, then that becomes part of your inductive reasoning that you can then apply to almost any problem that you have. So one particular method, um, it examines uh, objectives, resources, and your... Uh, Actions. Okay, so objectives, resources, and actions for developing a plan. And the idea is that um, with this type of thing, there's a famous quote which is, it's better to be resourceful than to have resources. Okay, Um, so when I was taught this, I was taught it a very long time ago. I actually don't know where it originally came from, but it was called Aura objectives, resources, and then actions that you need to do. So, the idea was just by stopping and asking yourself, okay, what do I want to do? Uh, I want to achieve this particular goal. Great. What resources do I have around me that will help me? That if I use them in particular ways, would mean that I could be creative and achieve this goal. So, that's fine. You know, maybe you've got the perfect resource around you, but maybe you don't. But taking a list, an inventory list, Of all the resources that are around you, it enables you to then start seeing how combinations of these different things at different times would be able to help you achieve your goal. And then that, of course, tells you what actions you need to take. So let's say if you don't have money as a resource around you to be able to achieve a particular goal, but your goal is to market uh, a particular product, well, what would that look like? You know, and there are great examples out there of people who have managed to do guerrilla marketing or minimum effective dose marketing or very targeted marketing um, that requires very little money at their specific niche groups or um, promoting behaviors that would then market themselves. One of my favorites was Dropbox, literally giving you something for nothing if you recommended a friend. And so it gave you like, I think it was, at the time, it was like 10 gigs free storage. If you, for every friend you recommended, it would be another gig or something like that. So your initial sign-up was a certain amount with one friend, but then every friend after that got you an extra like two gigs or something stupid like that. And the idea was that they didn't need to do any advertising because their customers, their clients, were like, cool, I'm going to do this for free and I'm going to keep marketing this person for free. Absolutely. That's one way to do it. And so... By doing these types of things on a regular basis, we create um, a very, very uh, resource-based problem-solving schema in our mind. So instead of thinking, what is the perfect solution for this problem? Well, I want to travel uh, to this country. Well, how much is a flight? It's this much. Well, how much is a hotel? It's this much. You know, you think, well, do I have money as a resource? No, I don't. Okay, well, what else is a resource? The internet. How have people solved these problems in the past? Well, I could be one of these uh, people who takes a flight that's you know, the last minute seats that they sell very cheaply or a courier. I could courier important business documents from A to Z and then you get a cheap flight. That's another possibility. Another possibility is um, you know, that you can... Well, I'm trying to think now of, of different ways to travel, but um, forget the airfare. You can then also look at accommodation and, and creative ways to solve problems around that. Well, um, what are my resources? Well, my flexibility. I don't mind sleeping, um, you know, in multiple different places. So maybe if a friend has a place, then I can put up a hammock. Aha! Or I've got a tent. I don't mind camping, so let me camp. You know, oh, I'm super resilient. I don't mind sleeping on a floor, in which case um, you know, I can just ask a friend to stay on their floor even if they don't have like, a spare couch or a spare bed or something like that. I can just literally sleep on the floor. So if you have resilience as a resource, patience as a resource, um, you know, all of these, these qualities in you are also considered resources that you can use to solve a problem you know, because it would mean that particular solutions that present itself are more or less attractive as well. So this is the idea with creative problem-solving. And the the simple point is that by using our inductive reasoning, we usually can contextualize things and f- basically it takes away from how, how much stress our, our brain feels at a particular time. And by using creative problem solving, which is typically the realm of deductive reasoning as well, like... To understand how something works in the moment, well, we can use inductive reasoning. Or to find the solution to, for something, well, we can also then use creative problem solving, our Aura method, objectives, resources, action. To then come in, contextualize the problem to our specific context so that we can establish our resources. And using inductive reasoning, we can then uh, reason out what would be a good uh, plan of action for us to execute. So this has been the podcast on inductive reasoning based on solid mental models. Uh, One of those mental models for creative problem solving is the aura method. All right. So this is, um, this is one of the, I think one of the most interesting episodes that I've done um, because really being able to put together An idea of mental frameworks is what I'm striving for at the moment. And to be able to use these types of um, tried and true tested kind of uh, methods that they call, you know, like the types of reasonings, the deductive reasoning is based on psychological tests of intelligence, you know, so being able to use this vocabulary is important for me. Um, And specifically, being able to label it as inductive reasoning is very important because it makes the distinction that it's based on past experience, which means go out, learn more, go out, experience more. And the association with failure is not negative. The association with failure is, oh, there's a model that I don't know here. Fantastic. The transfer of my other models didn't work here. And so failure is associated with very positive things rather than negative things. And I think that that's a big deal. So go out there, learn something, fail a little bit, and let me know how it goes. Until next time. Ciao, ciao.